Hey friends, it's Kara Kay, and this is the Asking for a Friend podcast, a show for the woman who has questions about herself, the church, and the world. We are all asking tough questions that affect us as women in the culture that surrounds us, and we are looking for a safe space to ask them. But don't worry, I know you're only asking for a friend. Hey friends, welcome to episode number 53 of Asking for a Friend. Now, maybe you're not a math scholar like me. Not really. I'm actually really bad at math. But we're coming up on a year of the podcast. I'm so excited. I know you're probably thinking, hello, um, 52 weeks in a year. But there was some bonus content and things like that. And so here in just a couple weeks, I'm going to be celebrating the one year anniversary of Asking for a Friend. And so because of that, I want to hear from you. I want to know what questions you want answered here. I want to know what guests you want to hear from. I just have some things that I would love to hear from you about so I can serve you really well here on the podcast. If you want to give me a birthday present just for fun, you can always go leave a review of the show. That is just the best present ever. Now, today's episode, so good. I'm sitting down with my friend, Ruthie Hart. Ruthie is a mom. She's an adoptive mom. She is a foster mom. And recently I got the question, can you help me better understand the foster system? And I thought this was such a great question because if you're on the outside of the foster system, you don't really always understand what's going on. It almost feels like this club that you don't really understand and you don't know how to get in and you don't know how to help and you you just are so confused. So I asked Ruthie to sit down with me today and answer a lot of these questions. So we're just going to dig into this and we're going to answer these questions the best that we can and help you guys better understand the foster system. All right, Ruthie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to get to sit and chat with you today. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. So tell everybody a little bit about you since having that first baby. What has been your journey through parenting? Yes. So my husband, John, and I, we had our first biological child, Ford, who is now seven. He's in first grade. We had him in 2013. And then much like you, we had another baby very quickly, our daughter, Lucy, a year and a half later. And quickly after having her, and actually quite honestly, throughout my pregnancy, um, just felt the Lord pressing adoption onto our hearts. And it was pretty much solidified. That's what, that is how we were going to grow our family after we had our daughter. And so when she was four months old and our son was a year and a half, almost two, we started the adoption process for private adoption, like a, a domestic private infant adoption. And we brought our third child, who's a son named Gideon. We brought him home through adoption in late 2016. So we had three babies in three years, and we were completely underwater for a, mm-hmm. at least a year. Yeah, <laughs> I look back, yeah. <laughs> I look back and I'm like, I think it was a lot longer than a year. Like I, I'm yes. still, I'm still. I wouldn't say healing from that trauma, but there's mm-hmm. still but moments. Oh my goodness, there are still moments where I'm like, how did, how and why and what and when and yeah. who, what were we thinking? Then we spent the next couple of years, um, just raising those babies. And a year ago, last Sunday marked a year since we have had a sweet little boy in our home through foster care. He turned one on 
September 18th, and one year of him being with us was September 20th. So he was released straight from the hospital to our family, and he was our very first foster placement. So many questions that I have. So (laughs) many. But I will say, I feel you on that three babies under three thing. I... I joke now that I don't remember the first year of Kenzie's life, who's my youngest daughter, that I don't remember any of it because I was in such a fog when I had a newborn, a one-year-old, and a two-year-old, but it's really true. Like I have to look back at pictures to even remember what happened during her first year of life. So I know. And when you're in it, it just, you know, we were so excited and tired and that's what we Want, thought we wanted and just yeah. following what what we thought the Lord had. For, we knew the Lord had for us. But yeah, I look back and, and our third baby, you know, just the layers of the emotional mm-hmm. parts of, of adoption, but also um, some health issues with him and food allergies mm-hmm. and um, yeah. and stuff like that. So I look back and whew, we also managed to uh, move 30 minutes away and do a full fixer upper house renovation in that in that year and so i'm i'm like let's do things one at a time from now on (laughs) yeah only one big life change at a time yes please all right so let's get into these foster care questions now as a lot of our listeners probably know i am an adoptive mom as well my story is similar to yours in that Kendrick was adopted um, through a private domestic adoption. And so I didn't really know about much about the foster system. Still have lots of probably wrong ideas. If somebody asked me these questions, I would probably give the wrong answer on many of them, which is why you're here today to help me. But, and I will just be really honest and say, before we went through the process, my husband and I both were like, well, we want to adopt, but we're not going to go through the foster system because that's too hard. Right. And now we look back on that and we're like, oh my goodness, we were so naive. We were so selfish, you know, cause we were just so stuck in our own little world. Like heaven forbid things be hard on us right. and right. not even thinking about the children and the families that were in need. And so that's kind of my background and where I come from. And so I have four topics I want to land on today and walk people through. One being the kids that are in foster care, the process, just walking through the process, and then what adoption might look like, and then how people can get involved. So let's kick off and start talking about the kids. So what are some of the common reasons that kids find themselves in foster care? Well, just to give you a quick statistic, it's pretty shocking, but there's over half a million kids in foster care in the U.S. And we live in Austin, Texas, and there is just, I mean, there's a huge need everywhere, but right. in in months and years past, there's such an overflow that children are sleeping in DFPS offices and in, in, right. in child protective service offices at night because there's such a, a lack of uh, foster parents. I guess we'll get, we'll get to that at the end, the getting involved, but yeah, yeah. Um, just to, to set that tone is yeah. there is always a need. There's always a need. And you know, God calls us in the book of James to care for the widow and the orphan. And some people are called to adopt and some people are called to foster, but we are all called to care for these kiddos. Just the magnitude of the need is so much. Um, mm-hmm. And so a child would enter the foster care system because of something that their parents have done to them or that they have been a witness to. So some examples are 
the obvious examples that that people think is physical abuse, so physical abuse, um, sexual abuse to the child, neglect, so that looks like a parent leaving a child at home who is not of age to leave to be left at right. home um, for an extended period of time. Now let's let's stop there for a second. I'm curious, is there laws? Because I I think I grew up in Oklahoma, and for some reason I thought there was a law there that you had to be a certain age. Do you know this? Is there certain laws across certain states? I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, as parents, you would think, and that that just takes me to the, the next question of, well, you would think that, you know, we would know that as parents. Like, oh, well, right. we, we should right, know these right. things. And I wonder right. how many times it's like so many parents are just don't have a clue. I don't know. I don't know how right. old my kids are supposed to be and what that looks like. And so – that's just right, and it also depends on our generations. Like, yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I didn't, I didn't grow up in an age when anybody was afraid of somebody snatching you from the park when you were by yourself, and we, right, we biked right. on our own, and and I was on my own at a much younger age than now. Mm-hmm. I view my seven year old thinking, "Oh my goodness!" So yeah. if if and and you know, there's there's so many layers to why mm-hmm. kids enter the system, and a lot of it is generational. Whether it's generational patterns of addiction and sin and oppression, people see their parents act in a certain way, so they're gonna act in a certain way. And people are are verbally abused by their parents and don't have secure attachment with their parents and are physically abused by their parents. And so that's the only way they know how to react to their own children. So it's, it's a, it's a cyclical and unfortunate circle that you hear about this broken system, broken system, broken system. And what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm now seeing that the past year, yes, there's lots of brokenness within the very government systems, but there's also a lot of brokenness in, in people and in, in cycles and the way we, the way we choose to parent our kids. Um, and so that, that's, that's hard and that's reality. And, and granted, a, adults make, make their own decisions, but a lot of times it is, you see parents who grew up in the foster care system themselves mm-hmm. becoming now parents whose children are removed through through CPS. So right. uh, other examples are incarceration. If, if a parent gets incarcerated, then mm-hmm. a child goes into the system, drugs, alcohol, some pretty awful things. Like yeah. in training, we got to hear, you know, actual real life. And now that I'm surrounded by people who are foster parents and we have a lot of community you think things just happen on TV or, or on the mm-hmm. news, but but that's reality for everywhere in the U.S. There's, yeah. It's very humbling. What do you see as the average age or background of kids in the foster system? Is there something that's typical? I don't know any statistics on that, but okay. there are a lot of children in foster – there's a lot of children in foster care, right. goodness, but <laughs> – there are going to be a lot of elementary and middle school aged kids. Um, so in Texas, I know not all of your listeners are in Texas, but in Texas, anybody over the age of 18 is a mandatory reporter for child abuse or suspected child abuse or neglect. Mm-hmm. And so you do see a lot of removals happening at school or daycares because mm-hmm. teachers and counselors are seeing bruises or they're noticing children 
acting out or, you know, some suspicious stuff happening. And so our agency, though, they get a lot of babies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we were, we are actually, since our kids were three, four, and six when we got licensed, we were certified age zero to two. So, so that was our, you can, as a foster parent, choose the age range that you are comfortable in because you need to, you need to be confident in your abilities going into foster parenting. So I've never parented a 16 year old and it would not have been wise for me to open up my home to a 16 year old yet. But I would say probably a lot of kiddos in foster care are in that seven to 12 age range. And it's great that kids are, are, are now back in school with the pandemic. Removals went down, but that didn't mean abuse went down. Right. Um, so now that kids are back in school, they're, uh, they're, their bodies are, are seen by these mandatory reporters. They're, they're having good relationships with teachers who know their their academic performance and their their personalities and their demeanor so they can then recognize if something may be off and if they yeah. do need to make a to make a call to the hotline. I've heard this term before and I had to look it up because I was curious, what does this mean in the foster system that there are children with special needs in the foster system? The term special needs refers to kids who qualify for adoption assistance, you know, whatever due to them being under these specific conditions, like being older, you know, they could be eight and be considered a special needs situation, having a specific race or ethnic background, being a part of a sibling group, which I think is huge. Um, And then the things that you would typically think about, like medical conditions or physical, mental, emotional disabilities, things like that. Did you see a lot of that when you started learning and going through the system? Yes, yes. So when you categorize a child as a child with special needs, that of course includes any of what maybe a person not involved in the foster care system would call a special need, whether it be a physical disability, Mm -hmm. a mental disability. Unfortunately, there's quite a few children who are alcohol exposed or drug exposed, whether that be in the womb or just simply growing up in a household with drugs and so different neurological disabilities those are are higher a lot higher in kids in foster care than a child who is not in foster care um and in terms of i don't want to call it special needs but in special circumstances or cases um yeah sibling groups so here's an example of how a sibling group is treated a little bit different. So say there's a sibling group of five kids. It's devastating to have to break up children, especially mm-hmm. children who have bonded and banded together, sometimes have raised each other, right. have taken on motherly and fatherly roles. But you have to find a foster parent in a foster home that is open to five kids. Like we already had three forever kids in our home and we wanted to take it one at a time. Right, right. And so we had toyed around with like opening up to a sibling set and it's like, okay, we we have very young kids already. Let's let's watch our own capacity. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes kids, sibling, big sibling groups do get broken up because there's just not enough families with the availability and the space and the licensing. But when it comes to adoption, this is specifically in Texas. If you adopt a sibling group, 
or if you adopt a child of color over the age of two or a white child over the age of six, you get a monthly stipend until that child is 18, which is, <laughs> I have some issues with that. Mm-hmm. And coming, coming from doing a private adoption, I don't know if you saw this, but we were told point blank that honestly, black boys were the hardest to get adopted because not a lot of people wanted to take that on. And so that's why their adoptions cost less. And that like makes me so angry in one Mm -hmm. sense, makes me angry, but not everybody, you and I know this very well. Not everybody is, (laughs) I I hate to use the word qualified, but you can't just adopt a a black son and Mm -hmm. go on living your, your white life. Um, And so seeing it in the foster care system too, just that that kids of color are less likely to get adopted or preferenced. So when you move to adoption, if you do adopt that sibling group, you're going to get a monthly a monthly stipend until the child's 18. And so if you adopt a sibling group and the child is three years old, you're going to get a good chunk of money every month yeah. till they're 18. Same with children of color over the age of two and then white children over the age of six. And then if if you adopt a child with a, what we talked about earlier, special needs, physical, mm-hmm. mental, neurological, then you do also get an extra stipend because they are going to inherently have a lot more appointments, therapies, surgeries, mm-hmm. specialists, et cetera. Whew, I, I have lots of thoughts on that, but I think I'm just going to have to skip that for now and process yeah. that on my own. Um. Well, we can do a whole, uh, we can chat about that. We can chat about trauma and attachment That's right. and all that. Oh man, there is so that much that goes along with that. But today we're just talking about answering these questions. So we'll save yes. all that for another day, but let's do it. Let's talk about the process. So what does it look like when you guys said, okay, we want to be foster parents. What, take us through that. What did that look like? It's basically giving them, <laughs> Claims on your entire life mm-hmm. and body and all of it. We we were used to to people getting up in our business with doing a home study with right. private adoption, but man, that was pennies compared to how much goes into becoming a foster parent. Okay, and, I'm curious about this whoo. because our home study was a joke. Like the lady it, walked like in easy and was wise, like, "Cool, yeah. you're good." They, I had a lady come in for our home study and check all the mattress pads and wow. they're not checking. You think like, oh, they're checking for cleanliness, but like a minimum standard for DFPS in Texas is every room has to have a mattress pad. And, huh. and you know, you, you think about, okay, I've had three children and I've kept them alive for a while. Yeah, I think my I house is, this. is pretty safe. But um, as far as the actual home study goes, that was the not the easy part, but the amount of work and, mm-hmm. and, and testing and interviewing. And we all had to get TB tests. And yeah. I've, I've gone almost 32 years of my life without ever having one. But <laughs> it was about a, a four-month-long process. It took us a good three months to get all of the paperwork on the front end done. And then you spend a sh- a shorter period like of time with your agency getting trained up on, on all the good stuff. That's mm-hmm. all the classes. It is background checks. And we had the fire chief in our house. We had a health inspector in our house looking at our refrigerator. We now have two, I am talking, they are probably 10 pounds each. 
those big fire extinguishers that you see in mm-hmm. public places. Got two of those, one in my kitchen and one in my kids' bathrooms upstairs. We have a full fire plan like posted up in our kitchen and upstairs. So it is lots and lots of paperwork, um, lots of people in and out of your home. And as annoying as it is, I get why they do this. Yeah, yeah. These kids are coming from unsafe situations and they're vulnerable. And they want to make sure, the state wants to make sure that you are, you're in it for real. And right, not, right. You, you know, you... You do hear every once in a while on the news people scamming the foster care system and just becoming foster parents for the monthly stipend you get and right. not not giving a crap about the kids. So yeah. it was it was pretty intense. Um, you kind of have to heads down, just sign your life away. Um, but it was about four months of paperwork. And then our agency, we did about 40 hours of training over one month. You, you get with with foster care, you get licensed with a child placing agency. So you think about okay cps in my in my county mm-hmm. cps if a, if a child comes into the system they will alert the 10 different you know say there's 10 different child placing agencies in in my city and say hey we have you know a 3 year old boy and a 2 year old girl can you call your families and so that's it's kind of a tree um and the point of an agency is support and training and to walk alongside of you. So I have a CPS caseworker, but I also have a case manager through my agency who is the one to answer all of my questions, my, but what about this? And if this mm-hmm. happens in this, like I need to know all the possibilities. Funny because foster care has just stripped me of my need for control and yes. and, <laughs> and knowing all of the things. But um so it's it's very important to have a solid agency that will train you and walk with you. We did a lot of training. The the phenomena, the idea is a trust-based relationship intervention, TBRI, and our agency really focuses on that cuz you're you're opening your home to kids from hard places who maybe have been in and out of the system for 5 years or maybe have severe attachment issues and can't trust a dad because they've seen a man you know, beat up on their mom. And so we just got so many incredible calming techniques and connection techniques and hands-on. Our agency has licensed um, counselors that will come and work with your family on different um, nurturing techniques. And it has been incredible just to have somebody walk alongside of you. I'm, I'm kind of wishing that no matter how kids come into your life, you had the I was availability. About to say that, like, what do I have to do to get that to happen for me? Because I need right. some calming techniques. I need that. So I'm seeing so much blessing and benefit from all of this training that can seem very overwhelming, but so so worth it. And I'm with with parenting in general. I'm trying to just be at a in a posture of learning. You know, yeah. you think, oh, I've got it down. I've been a mom for seven years. That seems like a lot, but I'm still learning. Oh, yeah. That never changes. Oh, my goodness. And you forget kid by kid. Our little mm-hmm. guy started walking last night. And I'm oh. like, man, so they're only a sweet little innocent cute baby who doesn't get into things for such a short period of time. And right. how did I forget that this was coming? And now the toddler years are on the horizon. And so parenting, man, it's however kids come to you, it's it's a joyous, crazy roller coaster ride. Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the the goal of foster care 
is reunification. I think that a lot of times we miss that and people don't really understand that or see that or know that that's really the goal. So talk to us about that. What does reunification typically look like? I know it's going to look different from case to case, but what does that process look like? Cool. Yes. And this is something that I talk passionately about and I swear I'm having conversations weekly, if not every other day with people who message me wanting more information about foster care. And I, I want to be so open about it because it's so wonderful and I, and we just need more people to step up. Mm-hmm. But I am very, very clear with people that reunification is the point of foster care. Right. Yes, we talked about some really awful things that kids come into the system because of. But don't we all want a second chance? Don't we believe that people can change? The point of foster care is reunification with biological parents or biological family. And so the courts and, and and the department will try to keep families together at all costs, different family members. So a child would go straight into the foster care system to a licensed foster care home, and then they're going to look for family members, aunts, uncles, grandparents, even something called fictive kin, which is your best friend lives next door and you guys are like family. They mm. could get quickly licensed to have those children in your home, okay. in, in their home. Typically, a child gets removed, and within a month or two, a court hearing is set. And a judge will look at all the information, see why the child was removed, look at the parent's criminal record, and just record of if they've, if they've already had cases with CPS, and the judge will declare a service plan. And so usually those are about a year long. That's why you see kids staying in foster care for about a year until they either go to adoption, or the case gets extended, or they're going to go home to their mom or their dad. So in that year... The parent takes part in whatever the judge sets up for them in hopes of them succeeding. It's personal counseling, it's drug therapy, it's rehab, it's drug testing, it's proof of housing, it's maybe they were they were living with some really unsafe people and part of that service plan is going to be, "Hey, we want you to get a job and and get at your own apartment, get your own house um, and not be living with, you know, sketchy XYZ." And then you'd have hearings over the next couple of months, like every couple of months to check in and and see how that parent is doing. And sometimes parents do awesome. And that's what we hope to be a foster parent. Like I look at my forever kids and if something were to happen and if I made a mistake or if I made some really bad choices, wouldn't I want to be given just the chance Mm. to get my life together, to get my kids back? It's great when foster parents can cheer on biological parents because sometimes all it takes is someone telling you that you can do it saying hey I know that was a bad decision but you can do it I think you're a great mom and I think you you know maybe they didn't get that encouragement or that Mm -hmm. building up maybe they don't have that anywhere else and and sometimes parents do such a great job and it's a beautiful beautiful celebration but then sometimes parents don't. They don't take part in services or they, they relapse or they choose not to, to participate. And, and that's when a case would go to adoption. And that's, it's sad. Yeah, It's sad. And you and I both know that even adopting little boys where we adopted our boys and their birth mothers made adoption plans for them. That mm-hmm. is still sad. 
You know, it's still sad that that both of these wonderful women were at a point in their lives where they had to make that choice. And it's a awesome and brave and honorable choice that I Mm -hmm. respect. But a child not getting to spend forever with biological family like that's it's just it's sad. And so it's not the way God intended it. And that's what it's always like. Oh, so heartbreaking. Especially for us on this side as adoptive moms, it's like the selfish part of me wants to say, oh, no, Kendrick was made for me. Like, he was supposed to always be my child, but that's not true. I am so grateful that I get this opportunity because he's the coolest little boy on earth and I will forever stand by that. But he's, it's not mine to control. And so that's hard. And if you're not inside the, you know, adoption triad, yes, you can say some stuff that is very well-meaning. Right, right. But I have to remind people, and and I, there are certain people that I do want to get into conversation with and like, hey, I love being his mom, but I'm not this savior. And and, and right, like it's sad. Yep. It's a celebration. It's, it's, it's beauty and brokenness intertwined into one. Mm -hmm. And I feel so stinking lucky to have these boys in my life and get the absolute honor to to be their mom mm. for however forever long that God needs me to be. Yeah. And so reunification if you think about like I've raised this little boy and I'm you know I've been caring for him for since he's he's I'm all that he's known as right. a primary caretaker. And so as a foster parent, you open yourself up to getting your heart absolutely yes. ripped out. And mm. and our little guy did go to a family member for a month. And that was a really, really hard time. There was lots of grieving involved. Mm. So even, you know, it was a celebration of, hey, guess what? This little boy gets to be with cousins. Like I just think about my kids and their cousins together, like how wonderful that is. But there was also extreme grief. And Mm -hmm. and that's when I knew we kind of did it right. Like we fell so in love with this this three-month-old baby. It's not easy to say goodbye. And it's... It's easy to get attached, but it's not, I'm not some superhuman that has no emotion. Like you hear a lot of people say, I could never do that because I'd get too attached. But that is the point. Yes, Attachment can absolutely transform a child's life now and for years and years mm-hmm. to come. And I would rather be the one who, who walks with grief than a child not experience a loving and safe home and happy and healthy attachment. Mm, that's good. I hope that challenges some people today that are like, oh, but I can't, I can't, it's too hard. Let's let's talk to those people. How can, if today somebody's listening and they're like, all right, I'm ready, let's do this. How can they become foster parents? So my first recommendation would be good old Google. And that's I know right. that's, that is, uh, that's overwhelming. Like, I'm not gonna tell you to Google all of the things. Just find yourself a child placing agency mm-hmm. in your area. Write them in. A lot of these agencies are now doing digital and online and virtual trainings, which yes. is awesome because we need more people certified. And that does allow more people to get certified yeah. rather than having to commit, you know, full Saturdays. But look for child placing agencies in your area. And if you're having a hard time, you could go to the the DFPS, the Department of Family Protective Services website, 
contact them to see if they have any recommendations and go to an info session. We went to an info session in January with our agency and we didn't start the process for five months. And so going to an information information session is where you're going to get all of your questions answered. And quite honestly, you will probably either feel like, okay, this is, we're walking forward or this is reality and it doesn't, this doesn't, no, we, we, we can't do this. Um, I would say also go to your church. Yeah. Most likely, hopefully your church has some connections in your community with an agency or, um, someone that's in the know or can even connect you with other foster parents that totally can really give you some great hands-on information within your community. I know for our church personally, we work with a local foster agency and we do a lot with them. And I actually called their office when school shut down back in the spring and asked them, okay, hey, what's your need right now? Like, are you still doing training? Can we still send people to you? Because what does that look like when the world shuts down? And and just like you said, so many places are still doing training. So if kids in your area are not back in school, the amount of cases in the area has likely gone down. But that doesn't mean the need is not there. And as soon as those schools opened, we saw it here in our area. As soon as schools opened, the needs just went through the roof. And so they need people so desperately right now, even with things the way that they are. Yes. Yeah. And that was going to be my next recommendation is find foster parents and ask them the questions. Because we've had the state and everybody inside of our lives in our homes. So chances are we are willing to tell you That's all, right. of, well, and all of it. <laughs> the way that it's affected your life, you want other people to be a part of this. Right. It's not like you want to be secretive about this thing that you're doing because you want everybody else to step in because you know now what the need is. You know how big right. it is. You know how many people are needed to actually step oh, in. Oh, totally. And you don't realize it until you're in it or you're walking alongside of somebody in it. And and maybe you, you, hit, you hit up a child placing agency or your church has a great relationship with, or they can connect you with foster parents mm-hmm. and then you realize hey, I don't think having a a foster child in my home is doable, but I'd like to get certified to babysit or I'd like to get certified to do respite or Mm -hmm. I want to get together a drive for kids. A lot of times kids come into care with the clothes that they have on. And so there's awesome organizations that put together little suitcases with pajamas and and toothbrushes and loveys and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there are tons of ways to get involved. and. Sometimes it is, it starts with praying. If that's all you can do right now, then do it. Please pray. And then it may be getting certified to babysit. And you, and you dip your feet in a little bit more each time and you realize like, these are kids. These are children we're talking about. We are not talking about damaged goods. We are right. talking about sweet little babies who want to be bounced on your laps and mm-hmm. kids who want to play Pokemon with you. But man, there is just such a need in... In Texas, there's a really cool organization that I've always said, when we are not fostering, I want to be a CASA advocate. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is, that's not just in Texas. It's it, oh, okay. All I over, didn't know. I'm pretty sure. Okay, cool. That's awesome. That's good. so good to know. So if you go to CASA.org, CASA is Court Appointed Special Advocate. And you go through quite a, quite a lot of training, but then you are paired up with a child and you are their buddy. 
you are not, I hate to use the word mentor because you know you're not a mentor. You are just somebody to hang out with them. Nonpartisan. You are not the foster family. You are not the CPS workers or anything. So you hang out with this child twice a month or, or however long. And, and chances are you are going to have a, you're going to have a voice in those court hearings and advocate for that kid. But you are getting access to, to loving on a kid who, maybe is having a hard time connecting with their foster parent, doesn't want to talk to their CPS caseworker, but you just get to take them to a movie or hang out or play basketball. So that is, that's something that I know I want to do because I, I love working with, with kids. I want to be like on the ground with the kids. I'm just passionate about children and families. And there, I could go on and on about all the different ways that you can serve in the foster care system. I feel like there's there's something for everybody, but start with start with prayer. That's something that you can do on your own, and and walk until the Lord specifically shuts the door. But chances are yes. He's going to push you through some doors that maybe make you feel uncomfortable, but yeah. are so worth it. I'll share one more thing that has really become something that God's pushed me and my husband into over the last year or so this is something we're interested in. We, you know, at some point we would love to foster, but right now has, it's just, we haven't gotten the yes, but we've decided like, okay, we have to find another way to help. And we had this really big tug to help families stay together before they actually get to that point. Wow. And so we've partnered with some local people to just help. So when there's a family that's like, okay, this, this parent has one last chance to do this, this, and this, or their kids are going to be removed from the home. We've committed to coming together with people in our church and community and say, okay, we're going to step in and help. They need a bed here. We're going to go find them a bed. They need a mattress. Okay, here we go. This is what they have. They need clean clothes. They need whatever it is that they may need. For some families, it's like they need a stove. And my husband went to Lowe's recently and sat down with a manager and said, Hey, this family needs a stove so they can cook meals for their family and keep their kids in their house. And Lowe said, sure, we donate this many items per year. We'd oh love my to gosh. And so That's so cool. There's just, yeah, I mean, so cool. And so there's those things that you can do. It was just really became evident to us, like something's happening before they get to that point. And so how can we step into that need? So there's just another way that, of something that people I think a lot of times don't think of because I didn't think about it. You know, I think sometimes we can like just put the blame on these parents right. where they're just stuck in this cycle and they just need somebody to come alongside them and love them and help a little bit. That so. is so cool. I love that. And I mean, that is such an encouragement because that's a preventative way. Yes. To, for and the foster aren't helping system. on that side you know, are we really doing everything we can if we aren't helping prevent the kids from the trauma, you know, because a lot of situations they get removed for silly things that can be fixed easier yeah. than yeah. putting them through that traumatic experience. Right. And if, you know, the, the system is so broken and there's 500,000 kids in the system right now, if we had 500,000 foster parents sign up today, that's not going to fix the problem. It's going to fix no. the problem when we 
get face to face with people who are different than us, who have different life experiences Mm -hmm. than us and walk alongside of them and say, how can I serve you? How can I help you? And And that's the job of the church. Yeah. We are failing in that in so many ways. Right. Because there is so, when you look at the church, it's like, man, there's so many opportunities to serve the foster parents and to mm-hmm. um, to love on adoptive families. But right. what about the the single unwed pregnant mom yeah. or, or, you know, oh, the the woman whose kids are in foster care right now? Yeah. And she just lost her job because of COVID. And right. Is she going to be welcomed with open arms and be invited yep. to the women's night at your church and yep. be prayed for? And so, yes, I, yes, I'm fired up now. That's <laughs> I right. I love Let's that that this. is a part of <laughs> that ministry. And until, yeah. like you said, you didn't know until you, until you know, until you realize that that is a need and hey that could be a way that we could prevent kids from being removed from their family and and traumatized and yes that is yeah. incredible yeah. it's so huge okay we're we're good. we could talk forever i know about this. let's do it forever <laughs> i want one one more thing from you before we wrap up will you just give i know this may be impossible but would you give just a quick piece of advice what is something you would say to somebody that's like okay i'm ready i'm scared but i want to step into this what's something you would say to them ooh i just through adoption and now through foster care i have just clung to the lord and met him in such a different and specific and unique way that I wouldn't trade for the world. I've had more pain and more tears and more questioning and more anger and frankly, a lot more anxiety. Like I really struggle with panic and anxiety now, now that I'm a foster parent, but it has been so worth it. So my piece of advice is just know that when God calls you to something really hard, it means there's going to be so much glory for him. Whether we see it this side of eternity or next, um, you know, we often only want to get into things that we see immediate benefit or payoff. And right. and maybe I have ten children come into my home, and I don't and I don't ever see them again. But maybe I created a healthy attachment style for them, and then in thirty years, their parent they have kids of their own, and they have healthy attachment. And so it it's I don't know. That's not really advice, but just know that God is going to do so much. And so it's going to be like Ephesians 3.20, far more than we could ever imagine he is going to do. But it takes walking into something that is an absolute black hole of brokenness. Mm. Like the most brokenness and sin I've ever been exposed to at once has been through foster care. And then a practical advice would be get your people around you. Like get your community cheering for you, praying for you, getting certified to babysit, meal calendars, all of that. Like you cannot do this alone. You, I don't know how people parent alone, but, but (laughs) like without a community, but it takes, it takes the the church to, it takes the body of Christ to do this. It can be done in a really beautiful, beautiful way. But man, get people on board with you. Be like, I'm about to do something super crazy and I need you. I'm going to need you to talk me off the ledge and I'm going to need you to deliver wine and to let me (laughs) cry and to and to celebrate with me, too. Yeah. Because, you know, when when 
there's parts of adoption that people are uncomfortable with and there's parts of stories that people are uncomfortable with. It's like, oh, when we talk about trauma and racism and this and that, it can be uncomfortable. But I'm like, look, this is my life. And so mm-hmm. get ready for the wild ride to be next to be next to me. But you have to have your people. That's good advice. Okay. Here on my show, we are women who ask questions. We do the work to reframe our thinking about the world. Is there something that you have maybe watched or read or listened to recently that's helped you reframe the way you think of the world? You're t- <laughs> you're asking me this two days after the first presidential debate, so oh, um, <laughs> so I honestly that's the first thing that came to mind, and like I just feel so much in my life this past year, and it's coming to a head, it's coming to a culmination of like, man, this is not my home. This world is. Not not my home. Mm-hmm. I look at people and political parties and institutions and things to to satisfy me and to get identity from, but those things just fail me time and time again. So that is an awful answer. That's all right. Sometimes it's the hard stuff that really does ground us and make us realize what's going on. Right, right. One last question. I Because we talk about heavy things here, I like to end on a high note. Tell me something that has brought you joy this week. This could literally be like a mascara or something fun. Ooh, so fun. Well, I've had two sick little baby boys all week. And so oh. that is, you know, find having to find joy in, in smaller things has been mm-hmm. my life right now. I bought pumpkins today. That brought me a lot oh, of joy. so fun. I need to do that. <laughs> but it's like, it's 90 degrees outside here in Texas. And I know. so I'm like, what in the world? I know I don't want them to, to rot up, but I had yeah, to run. This- mine do every year. It's awful. It's so awful here in Texas. But I got to go to the pharmacy to get some prescriptions for my boys. And I was like, I'm just going to buy pumpkins to make me happy. That's so fun. So that's... Lame, but I'm. I love it. I don't leave. I don't do much. I don't don't get out much. I'm. I don't get out much. I. I. I understand that. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing, super informative, and I think people are really going to be blessed by all of your wisdom and just the grace that you bring to this conversation. Well, it's a daily choice that um, I keep moving forward and finding that I have to offer myself a lot of grace in this. But it's darn worth it. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you, friend. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, friends. I put a lot of links in the show notes today to help you find some great resources, ways to connect. And if you have questions about how to connect in your local community, don't hesitate to reach out. You can go and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. I am at karak.james. And also just a quick reminder that there is the survey in today's show notes. So whatever app you're listening from, you can swipe up or left or right or whatever. If you can't find it, just Google the name of your app and show notes and you should be able to figure it out. Or you can go to my website to find that as well. So next week I will be back and I am going to be talking with my new friend Tori who has quite an amazing story about her life growing up in the foster system. And so Wow, you guys are going to love to hear from her. She's incredible. So be sure and join me back here next week for that conversation. And finally, keep asking questions for a friend. 